Welcome back to another episode of Jake's Takes. My name is Jake, and thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the podcast. And on this week's episode of the podcast, we are going to be looking at the NBA Finals and the Golden State Warriors versus the Boston Celtics. We're going to be looking at game number seven between Miami and Boston and how things shook up. And at the end of the day, in my opinion, we're going to look at one of the most controversial plays of the game and whether or not it was an issue or they got the call right. And we will be looking at everything involving uh, the game as well. And then I want to finish with some of my off-season predictions in terms of players that I think could be on the move um, in the East and Western Conference. Some of the guys that I think could be traded for whatever reason. So we'll look at that just after that. So Celtics ended up winning game number seven, a very close game number seven, with a 4-3 series victory. 100-96 to was the score. We ended up seeing a very good game on all sides. And in my opinion, it was a great performance for everybody on the Celtics. Um, and Miami was just so close. 26 points, 10 rebounds for Tatum. Horford had 5 points, 14 rebounds, 24 and 9 rebounds for Smart, 24 and 6 rebounds, 6 assists for uh, Brown. Grant Williams had 11 off the bench, uh, 8 points for uh, Derek White. Um, and the Boston Celtics ended up getting the victory in this game. On the other side of things, Jimmy Butler was the star, 35 points, uh, 9 rebounds. 25 and 11 for Bam, 15 and 7 for Kyle Lowry. Eight for Struess. We saw zero for P.J. Tucker. He didn't have the greatest game. And the bench was not uh, that hot. Nine points for Oladipo. The rest, not so much. And it was an interesting game. It was an up-and-down game. Celtics had, like, a very good lead going into halftime because they were up 32-17 to and after the first. And then they were up uh, 55 to... Um, they were up 55 to uh, 49 at the end of two, and then eventually they ended up winning 100 to 96. Now, there was two plays in the game that could have gone the other way potentially. The first one was a charging foul that would have, I think, been an and one for Jason Tatum, which they called that a charging foul. It could have been a blocking foul. The Celtics didn't challenge that. Maybe they should have, and it wasn't a big deal to a lot of people, but. It could have gone the other way if the call was right, and you can be the judge of, of that one. And it was one of the, the many calls that could have gotten themselves uh, changed around, but the Celtics didn't challenge, and nothing came of that, and I don't know if it actually would have been overturned if they did challenge. But uh, there was a bigger call on the Miami side that has people questioning the officiating. Now I'm going to give you my take. You can take your own opinions and look at it your own way, and if you're a Celtics fan like me, then you think one way. If you're a Heat fan, you might think differently. If you're not a fan of either, you might have your own unbiased opinion. So Max Struess had a corner three-pointer, which at the time was counted. And then a little ways into the game, they apparently reviewed it, which I didn't know that was a thing. You could review things later on and uh, change the call. Apparently, it was changed from a three-pointer to no basket because he stepped on the line. Now, if you look at the replay and you look at where his foot is, it's clearly touching the line 
if not slightly over. Not by much. It, at the time, probably wasn't anything that you could say, okay, he's out of bounds, because it's hard to see in, in real time. But if you're replaying it and looking at it from the booth or wherever you kind of look at your replays, you can clearly see that he stepped out of bounds. Now, a lot of Miami Heat fans are going to complain that that was a terrible call and that they should have just left the three-pointer and they shouldn't have taken it away because it wasn't out of bounds. But his foot was on the line, and there's no real denying that. And in my opinion, you can say what you want about that, but it's not actually a problem. So I personally believe that he was out of bounds, and if you look at the replay, it shows it. But obviously, losing by four points, maybe having that three-pointer in your pocket would have changed the game a little bit. Now, I'm not saying that they would have ran and won it. I'm not saying they would have come close to winning it. I'm not saying really any of that, to be honest. What I am saying is that uh, it was a great game for the Celtics, um, and it looked uh, like it was out of bounds in my opinion, and that's what they ended up changing it back to. And you can have your own opinion, obviously, um, you know, if you feel like it was a uh, different call, then you call it differently, and, you know, they looked at it, they reviewed it, and that's the end of that. So, unfortunately, um, if you're anyone else but... A Celtics fan, you might feel differently, but, you know, it was, in my opinion, it was out of bounds, and his foot was on the line. So, that was that. At the end of the game, they had brought it to within two points, and going up the court, Jimmy Butler took a three-pointer, which, if the three-pointer had gone down, it probably would have been the shot that hits the shot. The Ray Allen three-pointer for Miami against San Antonio, it would have been the Kawhi Leonard shot. I think that was against Philadelphia. It would have been a shot of all shots to get to the finals. It missed, and I'm not going to fault him for taking it because you're the best player on Miami. You're going to take that shot any day of the week just because you're wide open. It's a three-pointer. You're going to want to do it. There's nothing else to be said. Yeah, could they have gone for the tie? Of course. Could they have tried to drive to the you know paint and gotten a foul and tinting your free throws and hope that the Celtics don't hit a shot with 11, 10 seconds left on the clock? Yeah, but what happened was he missed. Al Horford got the rebound, passed it around, and I think Marcus Smart had the ball and two free throws, and they iced him up by four, and they went up, shot another three, missed. Horford got that rebound, and game was over. So you can say what you want about the game. You can say that the officials were on the side of the Celtics. You can say the officials were um, on the side of uh, Miami. I mean, let's be honest. The Celtics at a lot of the points of this game were up by like 13, 15, 16. So they basically played their best basketball. If you want to be on the side of anyone with these officials, you should probably say it was the uh, Miami Heat just because the game ended up being a four-point victory instead of what could have probably been like a 16-point victory. So if you want to talk about the officials, they helped both sides and the officiating was off on both sides. So maybe if there was better officiating, the Celtics might have been up by 16 at the end of the game or would have been up by 11 at the end of the game, but it was a four-point game. So Miami came back and came back, and you got to give credit to Miami. They're a great team. And same thing with Milwaukee, who lost to the Celtics in the round before. There's no hate. They gave it a good run, going to seven games. It went what it was, and you can't complain. you got to respect the team that won, and you got to give respect to the team that lost because you got to seven games, right? If the Celtics blew out Miami in four games, 
then there's really no respect there. They got their asses kicked, and it would have been an easy victory, and there's nothing I can say. Miami would have looked like a terrible team in the face of the Celtics, but they were a great team because they got it to seven games, and, you know, are they a team that could have won? Yeah, they could have probably won, but this was the Celtics who wanted this. They got it, and it was a good championship game, so I'm not going to complain, uh, and I'm not going to make excuses for some of the games you lost. I'm not going to, you know, say that Miami uh, should have won certain games or the Celtics should have won certain games that they didn't. But this was a great series, and you got to give congratulations to Miami and the Celtics for making it such a great series. And in my opinion, the best team won, and I'm also biased, but still, you know, there were, I'm sure, people who were upset about some of these calls, and I'm sure there were people who were upset about everything in the game when it came to the Celtics getting certain calls that they shouldn't have. But these officiants... They're not always the greatest, and they don't make the best calls sometimes, and I just feel like, you know, it was a good series all around, and, you know, the Celtics won. They're moving on to Golden State. Now, Golden State is a team that's going to be giving the Celtics a little bit of trouble, and I think they're, you know, a team that has all the capabilities of being a championship team. Both of these teams have what it takes to be championship teams. The Celtics have great defense. Golden State has great offense. Golden State doesn't have the size that Boston has, but they do have better shooters with Steph and Clay. And if Steph Curry gets on fire, he could score 50. And if he scores 50, it's over, right? You know, he is that guy. Jason Tatum needs to step up in this series because he's playing against somebody who is as good, if not the best, in the NBA. And, you know, Steph Curry has been here before, Steph Curry has that experience. And the Celtics don't have gotten to the Eastern Conference Finals so many times, they just lost it. And this is the iteration that has gotten them there. And I don't know if it's the head coach. I don't know if it's the fact that there's no Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens is in there. I don't know if it's the fact that they brought in Derek White and Grant Williams has been playing better and Robert Williams has been playing better. I don't know if it's these young guys getting more experience and these losses beforehand giving them the experience to get better. But to me, this was, you know... Uh, this is a good test for these young guys in Boston. And Golden State, this is a test to see if they can still do it. You know, they've had championship runs for, you know, a while. And they played Cleveland and Toronto, and then they kind of lost it. And now they're back. Steph and Clay are back. And that's great. And I got to be honest with you, this is great for Golden State because it gets the narrative that, oh, well, they needed Kevin Durant to win. To it gets rid of that because they've done it without Kevin Durant. They have Andrew Wiggins and they have other guys. They got young guys. They got Jordan Poole, who's great. So this is a great series for both sides. This is the redemption tour for Boston. They basically beat every team that beat them over the last three years. And Golden State, this is the old guys coming back again and being like, we can do it without Durant. We don't need him there. We don't need this guy. He's an all-star, but we have our own all-star in Andrew Wiggins. And Andrew Wiggins probably has a great playoffs and Clay Thompson has a great playoffs against Boston and Draymond Green and this is going to be a great series and I'm going to say this and this is also me being a little biased as well Miami wouldn't have made this a competitive series Miami would have got five games maybe swept by Golden State this would have been a bloodbath and they wouldn't have even had a shot and you can say what you want about Miami they're all hobbled they got guys who are injured. Tyler Hero played that last game when he probably shouldn't have. If they had made it to the finals, they wouldn't have won. There's no way Miami would have won that series. Now, Boston has their own issues injury-wise, in my opinion. 
I'm also going to say that Golden State is the favorites, and they should be because they're the better team. But it is a series that I think could go seven games, and I think Boston could win this. There is no chance Miami wins a series against Golden State in the NBA Finals. They're not going to be champions. But Boston has a chance. It's a smaller chance, but they have a chance. I think Golden State should still be the favorites because of Steph, Clay, and Draymond and their team. And that's just how I think it should go. But it's going to be a closer series, and it's going to be a better series. And I think it's going to be a better well-matched series. And you have a great head coach in Steve Kerr who knows how to do everything. And you have a great coach in Itame Udoka who's coming in for the first time playing. And he's going to, you know, come in and hopefully do a good job, right? This is a battle of David versus Goliath in terms of head coaches because you have David, who is Itame Udoka, and you have Goliath, who's Steve Kerr. He's this big, giant figure. He knows what it's like to be in the NBA Finals because he was there with Jordan, and he knows what it's like as a head coach because he was there a few years ago. So this is going to be a battle for sure. I want to give congratulations to both teams because they both deserve to be here for sure. And I want to give a congratulations to the, you know, Phoenix Suns and the Memphis Grizzlies and Milwaukee and Miami and all these teams that got into the playoffs because they got there for a reason. They're all good teams. And it's a pretty good situation, right? Granted, the Golden State Warriors have rest, which the Celtics don't. So that's going to be something. But hey, it is what it is. I also want to point out that the Eastern Conference Finals MVP award has been changed this season to the MVP uh, award, Larry Bird MVP award, and Magic Johnson MVP award. So in the Eastern Conference, it's Larry Bird Eastern Conference Finals MVP award. In the Western Conference Finals, MVP award goes to Magic Johnson. Um, so it's very fitting that the first year that they have this award named after probably one of the best Celtics players of all time, who is a small forward, it goes to probably one of the best Celtics players right now, who is a small forward, Jason Tatum. So Tatum gets the first inaugural Larry Bird Eastern Conference Finals MVP award, which is also very um, fitting. And also, the Celtics in Game 7s in the playoffs are undefeated and will stay undefeated um, right now. So that's something to also talk about. So they're moving on to the Finals. They've been to the Finals more times than anyone. So we'll see where they go from here, and it should be a good series for sure. Now I want to look at, to finish off this podcast, some of the potential NBA players that could get traded this offseason. So these are some of the guys that could get traded for whatever reason, and I'll go through sort of what my process is. So the first name we're going to look at is Russell Westbrook. Now, apparently Russell Westbrook has had issues with the Lakers. Apparently the Lakers might be interested in moving on from Russell Westbrook. Um, you know, Russ has... Um, He's done a lot and hasn't had the greatest of seasons, uh, but um, it seems like um, he is someone who could be on the move for a few reasons. Uh, you know, the way he's played and also his contract and the fact that they can probably get a good amount for him just because he is, a, you know, he's going to be a free agent next year. So he's got one year left on his contract. There's a lot of teams that would get rid of some contracts that are a little bigger in order to take on a one year of Russell Westbrook. So do I think that Westbrook's someone that uh, is going to get traded? Yeah, I think so. Uh, just because there are so many crappy basketball teams that would take a year of Westbrook and get rid of a few unwanted contracts in the process. So don't be surprised if Westbrook gets moved to a team like Detroit or Indiana or Orlando 
just so those teams can get rid of two or three bad contracts um, and get Westbrook in some picks to make it worth it. I don't think Westbrook's going to get traded without first-round picks involved because there was um, some articles posted prior uh, about Westbrook getting traded, and so it sounds like teams aren't going to take on Westbrook unless there's a first-round pick involved, and the Lakers have not wanted to give a first-round pick with Westbrook. Those are the reports. We'll see what happens with Westbrook, but I do think there is a chance that he does get moved for a pick involved as well for good players. And one of those players, we'll go to our second guy, could be Malcolm Brogdon. So this is going to be Indiana, Malcolm Brogdon and Buddy Heald. Both of those guys could get traded, and I just don't think they fit this team, right? They're good. Malcolm Brogdon's great on defense, Buddy Heald's great on offense. These are guys that could be complementary pieces to any championship roster. And I think in the case of Brogdon, he does have his injury history, which is a problem. But I could see him getting traded to a whole host of teams, Atlanta, Dallas. I could see him getting traded with Buddy Heald to the Lakers for Westbrook and like a first-round pick or two. That's a possibility. I mean, the Lakers don't have a lot of options, and if they make a trade, these are two guys that would be starters and help them out. LeBron, Buddy Heald, Anthony Davis, and... Uh, Malcolm Brogdon is a pretty good group of players and if that's the case great so you know I think uh, this could be a pretty good situation but Brogdon and Buddy Heald are both guys that I could see getting traded because if you have Chris Duarte and you also have uh, Tyrese Halliburton they can get so much out of this and they have TJ McConnell as a backup point guard so Brogdon's not needed if they have a draft pick this year they're probably going to use it on a wing and, you know, I think they can kind of get some better pieces. So don't be surprised if there is a trade and it's Brogdon and Buddy Heald getting moved at some point. So both of those guys could get traded, in my opinion. Then we have Jeremy Grant. Now, Grant is an interesting choice because Grant is someone who is a 20-point-a-game scorer. He is someone who's been so great in Detroit and I don't know if it's because Detroit is a bad franchise that he's so good, or if it's how he normally is. But Jeremy and Grant is someone who can get traded. He's a one-year contract. He's given you a lot. And I think there are teams that could use him. Almost every playoff team who doesn't have like a star player at the power forward could use Jeremy and Grant. I think there's so many avenues where I could see him fitting in very nicely, whether that's in Chicago, whether that's in Miami. Whether that's in, you know, another spot, Boston or Atlanta or Memphis or I don't even know. There's so many places he could end up. And so I think he has the potential to get traded for more than he's actually worth because there could be a bidding war. Because he's a one-year contract, because he's a great sort of combination, small forward, power forward, he is someone I could easily see getting traded for the right price. For sure, for sure. Then we have a sign-and-trade option. And that's Zach Levine. So Zach Levine could just sign with whatever team has enough money. But I also think if a team doesn't have money but they want to get Zach Levine, maybe they could make a sign-and-trade happen. Like the Lakers, like the Clippers, like the Spurs potentially. So if Zach Levine wants to go to a team that doesn't have the money to take him on, they could trade you know, contracts and could give something to the Bulls in order to make this work. And... It could be a big, you know, trade. It could be a big possibility. I think there's ways to make something happen. And I wouldn't be surprised if 
you know, I see him get, uh, get moved. And, yeah, he's a free agent, so he could just sign somewhere else. I think the Bulls want to keep him. But if he wants to go to another team, he has said that he'd love to play for the Lakers. It's going to probably cost you, and it's going to cost you a lot. So, you know, if they don't have the cap space, then they could make it happen. And I think the Bulls could be a you know team that trades signs and trades Zach Levine because of the sheer fact that they might not have enough uh, space to just take him in outright. So I wouldn't be surprised if Levine is a sign and trade option this off season. And also speaking of sign and trade options, we have DeAndre Ayton. So I think the Suns want to keep DeAndre Ayton if all possible. But if DeAndre Ayton doesn't want to be there anymore because of a variety of reasons, many of which could involve Monty Williams, could involve Chris Paul, could involve the team in general, then signing and trading him is something that could be a viable option. And there are a whole host of teams that could have interests, such as Portland. There could be interest from maybe New Orleans if they want to give up Nurkic. There could be interest from the Utah Jazz. Maybe you do Rudy Gobert for DeAndre Ayton. Maybe, you know, he could get traded... Uh, in a deal for Vucevic with uh, Chicago. He could get traded to maybe the Celtics for Robert Williams or get traded for OG Ananobi and the um, get traded to Toronto. So DeAndre Ayton, like Zach Levine, could get traded in a sign-and-trade situation because it's totally a possibility that it takes place with him getting moved. Next on the bucket is John Collins. Now, there was rumors of potentially John Collins getting traded last year. It didn't happen, obviously. But you have DeAndre Hunter. You also have uh, Jalen Johnson. If the Atlanta Hawks want to get a top-tier player, it might make sense to get rid of John Collins in this scenario. If they go after Rudy Gobert because he doesn't want to be in Utah, could they trade John Collins and Clint Capella to get Rudy Gobert? They could. Could they trade John Collins for... Um, you know, a Malcolm Brogdon, potentially. Could they trade John Collins um, for a Zach Levine in like a sign-in trade if that's what, you know, maybe Kevin Herter and John Collins for Zach Levine is what takes place because Zach Levine wants to go to Atlanta. You know, maybe John Collins gets traded to the Celtics for some draft picks. Maybe he gets traded to the Spurs and the Spurs trade away McDermott and some other stuff. I don't know, but I could see it being a possibility where John Collins gets traded, and he ends up leaving this team, for sure. It's uh, a possibility. Next on the docket is Rashawn Holmes in Sacramento. So I think when they got in Sabonis, Rashawn Holmes is expendable and became expendable because he's someone who is a backup center on this team but shouldn't be a backup center. There are a lot of places that could use him. Charlotte could use him. Uh, we could also see Dallas use him. You know, there are potential situations where he could be a starting center in the NBA, and him staying in Sacramento is not going to be one of those situations where he's a starting center. So at the end of the day, I think he could get traded, and I think it's a possibility that they move on from him. They could use wings, and maybe they move on from Rashawn Holmes to get a wing. That's a possibility, and that's what I see taking place. Next up on the docket is Christian Wood. Now, Christian Wood is a one-year contract. He is a very good player, double-double player in Houston, who had success after playing in Detroit for a few years. Uh, Christian Wood could get traded for some draft picks, could get traded to a playoff team, 
Um, he could get traded uh, all over. He could get traded to Dallas. He could get traded to the uh, Toronto Raptors. He could get traded to Portland. He could get traded to Chicago. He's a cheap contract, which is also a great thing. I think he only makes $13 million. So there are a whole host of teams that could take a chance on Christian Wood because of his contract size. He could go to the Brooklyn Nets and be their starting center. He could go to the Lakers in some sort of a trade involving Talon Horton Tucker and maybe two first-round picks. He could get traded to the Charlotte Hornets, and they could trade away, you know, maybe Kelly Oubre. Or if they want to get rid of Gordon Hayward because they don't like his contract, maybe they trade for Christian Wood and Eric Gordon, and they make a deal out of that. The Charlotte Hornets have two first-round picks this year. Could they do something uh, to get uh, rid of Gordon Hayward? Potentially. So I could see him getting moved uh, in a lot of ways, and it wouldn't be a surprising move. For sure. Now, next is the Dallas Mavericks with Tim Hardaway Jr. And I say this because they don't really have a use for him right now. Because they have Spencer Dinwiddie, Luka. They're trying to re-sign Jalen Brunson. Um, he just doesn't fit their timeline. He also makes $19 million. And I could see them getting rid of Tim Hardaway Jr. and trading him away for the right package. And I don't really see him fitting very well with this team so I think he could get moved and I wouldn't be surprised if he does so some of the places I could see him going uh first and foremost is the 76ers if there is a Tobias Harris trade I could see Tim Hardaway Jr. and maybe a Davis Burton Tans get traded for Tobias Harris and they kind of make some sort of deal around uh those guys um just to kind of have cheaper contracts to work with um it's a possibility. I could see him get traded to the Knicks if they're looking for a veteran at the, the wing, potentially. Um, I could see him uh, get traded to Atlanta. Maybe they trade Gallinari and they get in Tim Hardaway Jr. to be a backup you know, small forward um, or a backup shooting guard, potentially. Um, I could see him... I could see him get traded... Um, to a bunch of different teams. Maybe he gets traded to Portland for Eric Bledsoe in some sort of a deal. Um, I could see him get moved for sure. Uh, maybe he gets traded for Jeremy Grant in some sort of bigger trade or gets traded for Christian Wood in some sort of bigger trade if they're looking for a player of that caliber. Maybe he gets traded in a bigger deal for Rashawn Holmes. Um, so there is possibilities. I think Tim Hardaway Jr. could get moved easily um, by their team. Next on the docket is Duncan Robinson. So Duncan Robinson was great during the season, but during the NBA playoffs against the Celtics in that series, not so much. He went from great to average to, yeah, he didn't get a lot of playing time. So he is someone who could be on the docket. He makes $16 million. I could see him get traded for a power forward because that's the position of need in Miami. So I wouldn't be surprised if somebody takes a chance on Duncan Robinson and ends up adding in a very good player in his place. Could they trade Duncan Robinson and some draft picks for Julius Randle? There's potential with that one. Could they trade Duncan Robinson for Harrison Barnes? There's potential for that one. Could they trade Duncan Robinson for Kelly Oubre and play Kelly Oubre as a power forward? There's potential for that one as well. Could they, you know, make a trade and 
you know, go out there and get Jeremy a grant for Duncan Robinson and some stuff. Yeah, they could. Um, there's the possibility there. Could they trade Duncan Robinson for Bogdanovich in Utah? There's the potential for a trade there. Could they trade Duncan Robinson some draft picks and stuff for John Collins, potentially? So I think, you know, Duncan Robinson doesn't have a ton of value on his own, but if you add stuff in, there is the potential for some sort of a trade to take place. Could he get traded for a Kenrick Williams and maybe a Derek Favors with um, the Oklahoma City Thunder, and maybe you trade away a first-round pick alongside? Uh, there's possibilities there. Um, I think there's the potential for that to take place. I don't know if it will, but um, there is that possibility. So I could see it. I could see it taking place. So... Um, Duncan Robinson seems like he could be one player who is out the door. And uh, the next player and the final player we're going to look at is Evan Fournier. Now, Evan Fournier was a failure of a signing by the New York Knicks. And while he's a good role player, I just don't know if he's what they are looking for. And unfortunately for them, they have him for a few more years. So he is under contract for a while. So I wouldn't be surprised if they look to to move him because I just don't see him fitting in with this team whatsoever. And I wouldn't be surprised if he does um, find himself a new spot uh, to go. So it's a possibility, uh, in my opinion, that he does get traded um, in the future. So don't be, don't be surprised uh, if he gets traded um, because I think, uh, you know, he doesn't fit. And this could be more of a salary dump. Uh, I don't know if there's much value to him, but I think there is um, a lot of, uh, you know, value um, potentially um, in uh, trading draft picks alongside him or some younger players who don't really fit what you're trying to do. So I wouldn't be surprised if, um, if he gets moved in a, a bigger trade. If the New York Knicks go after a, a star player, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets moved um, entirely. So... Um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, uh, at all. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens and we'll see, uh, where they go from here. So, um, I think there's the possibility for Evan Fournier to get traded and that's going to do it for this one.